Hello, and welcome to On the Marie Curie Couch, the podcast that aims to break down taboos and start open, honest conversations about death and dying. I'm Jason Davidson. I'm a social worker by profession, and I've worked in palliative care, hospice care, and bereavement support services for more than a decade. Each episode, we'll be speaking to a well-known guest to find out about how they feel about their own mortality and how their personal experience of bereavement has shaped the way they live their life. Today, I'm on the Marie Curie couch with Beverly Knight. Beverly's an actress, singer and writer with eight studio albums to her name. Her hit singles include Come As You Are and Shudda Wudda Kudda, which both reached the top ten in the UK charts. She's also had a successful career in musical theatre, appearing on West End shows such as The Bodyguard and Cats. Originally from Wolverhampton, Beverly lives in London with her husband James. Beverly Knight, welcome to the Marie Curie Couch. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Can you tell us about a significant death that you've experienced in your life? Mm-hmm. I've had two. Um, the first one was um, the death of uh, one of my dearest and closest friends, um, Tyrone. And that was uh, 13th of February 2003. He died um, due to a HIV, advanced HIV status. Mm -hmm. He uh, succumbed after getting very ill very quickly and um, he was living with me at the time. Um, He was at my... At my family's house, it was over over the Christmas period, he was at my family's house and he started to get very ill. We'd noticed his vision had been going and I just thought, oh, it's it's the age, dear, it's the age and, you know, got him glasses and all the rest of it. But what we didn't know was that it was actually the beginning of an illness that would one by one close down his senses. So the last sense he was left with was the sense of hearing. This is what the professor told us. Um, but everything went, the sight went, the all the, the the motor responses, you know, kind of shut down. He couldn't swallow anymore. Um, he was on a tube, and and you know, it was a, it was very very difficult. I was in the hospital all the time. At the, at the same time, um, my album was out, so I was busy promoting an album and also doing my best to to look after Tyrone. I was his primary carer so um it was a a a very tough time but he um he died uh on the early morning of the 13th of september of of, uh uh, february sorry um 2003 uh the reason i mentioned september is because my dad passed um in 2010 on uh the 10th of september um and he he got ill um he was walking strangely. Uh, we discovered he had a tumour in his spine and uh, got to hospital, had it removed, but complications with his blood set in, um, blood thinning and, and all that kind of stuff, and then clotting. And um, he died very quickly. He went from being my dad um, nine weeks later to no dad. You know, he was gone. Um, so that was... That was a shock because it was completely 
unexpected. Yeah. Whereas Tyrone, we knew there'd be a time where we would have to face um, his death, you know, head on. So I was a little bit more prepared. I wasn't prepared for Dad's death at all. Yeah. Tough. So two, two really significant losses there. Yes. Just going yeah. back to Tyrone. Mm. So I think that, that, that thing about planning and knowing mm. or not knowing, of yeah. course, we never know when it's going to happen. our time, yeah. But I think when you were saying with Tyrone, because of the nature of his illness, mm. then there was some element of advance warning. Yeah. And what kind of conversations was Tyrone having, were you having about death and dying, if any? Yeah, we, we talked about it a lot because um, we had to face certain realities. I mean, it's it's going to come to all of us, but in Tyrone's case, the possibility of it being much nearer um was you know obvious due to the nature of what what was wrong with him and um so uh we actually talked about things like the funeral um not so much the quote boring bits you know the 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 paperwork and things like that that we didn't really go into so much I wish we had. Um, that's a whole other story. Um, but we talked about the day he would like, you know, the kind of funeral he would like. And um, the first thing he said was, well, you've got to sing. And I was like, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> you expect me to stand there and be together enough to sing? Okay, then. Well, we'll see. You won't see, but we'll see. <laughs> You know, um, and and I did. God knows how, but I did. Um, and we talked uh, about, uh, you know, details, flowers, you know, um, who's going to be a pallbearer, um, what kind of a, a, a after, you know, wake, whatever yeah. they call it, um, he was going to have and those kinds of things. Those are the things that because he could have a measure of control over it, he wanted to tell me, you know, this is what I want, this is what I don't want. You know, mm. he didn't want it to be too maudlin. I said, well, look, you know, you're a larger than life personality. People are going to miss you. <laughs> I'm going to miss you, you know. Um it won't necessarily be maudlin, but there will be sadness. You know, you can't eradicate that. And he was like, yes, well, I want it to be fabulous. And, you know, that's how he was. He was just so gregarious and larger than life. He was a wonderful, wonderful man. And actually, what a great, you know, I think that focusing on focusing on that stuff. Yeah. The kind of colourful stuff. Yeah, and it was is, colourful, yeah. Is that, um, that's the bit that's going to be, be sort of representing him, isn't it? You know, it's going to be part of him and who he was. Exactly. Exactly. To kind of celebrate and remember. That was the side that mattered most because the other stuff, the, you know, um, who is the executor of a will and, yeah. you know, and... Equally as important. Equally as important. But... But, my God, drier than the Sahara. So, yeah. of course, I had to deal with all of those things. Um, he had family, but um, he was a big gay character and... Um, his HIV status was not something that he talked about at all. I only found out really about it by accident because 
I couldn't get hold of him and, and then found him in, in the Chelsea Westminster Hospital. And I looked around the ward and the posters talking about CD4 and, you know, uh, cell, white blood cell counts and all of this. I was like, oh, ah, OK then. Um, nothing changed between us. I just had more knowledge. And with knowledge is, is, is power, so... Um, but his family, it was difficult for them to understand his sexuality. Um, conservative Jamaican background, such as myself as well. Um, yeah, that comes with a whole set of problems. On top of that, the stigma of HIV, it was difficult. So um, his family uh, were around at the very end that's when they kind of were back in his life and, um, you know, that was great comfort to him. But getting back to what we were saying, um, I was the person who was the executor of the will, so I had his passport, I had I had the, the not-so-fun job of having to inform, you know, counsel, you know, Mr Tyrone Jameson is no longer with us and death certificates. Uh, and... Did anyone advise you about kind of what to do or did you just figure it out? I... You know, about having a will or contacting well, the council? Or... Tyrone, when when they talk about executor of will, it's a, it's a title, it's a phrase, it's a phrase that is chucked around, but Tyrone was 31. He didn't have a will. He was, he was even though he knew that... Um, his and HIV back then, you know, different antiretroviral drugs. It wasn't like we have it now. Thank God things are so much better. But back then it was tough for him, um, even though he knew um, the day of his um, mortality was coming. It just, you know, you, you, he just hadn't, hadn't planned that side. So when it did come... I'm lucky because um, I, Tyrone was practically adopted into my family. You know, we just had him. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> he's an extra brother, you know. Uh, so my family were absolutely brilliant um, and helped me to do everything. You know, get all his affairs sorted out and um, get everything in order. Um, I was not in a good place. Mm. I was a absolute mess mm. but my my family were were just rock solid and you know everybody uh pulled together and really helped well we helped each other through it because we all were feeling the loss keenly but um in terms of the practicalities the family really helped me through because I, I had no clue yeah. not a clue I knew you needed a death certificate but I didn't know any of the steps, any of it. I, yeah. I just, I was entirely clueless. So, and the, and I have to say the Chelsea and Westminster Hospital were great as well because, you know, just in the initial... Is that where Tyrone died? He died in the hospital, yeah, yeah. Um, they were great, you know. I, I was literally coming in dressed for interviews and that and, you know, looking after him and then popping off again and then um, it was when they phoned me to say, look... Come in, but I think you're going to need to stay because we're talking about hours, you know, not days, hours. So I dutifully moved in and literally moved in. And so I was there when he took his last breath and then they 
talked me through everything, which was great. I was very, very grateful to them. And then, of course, my family took over at that point. What was it like at the end? Um, I remember um, putting my head down to get a little bit of sleep. And uh, just before I'd done that, I was sat with Tyrone. He couldn't see me or anything. It was just his chest going up and down. It was quite laboured breathing. Mm. And um, I was talking to him and I was um, telling him that I loved him very much and um, that I promised to uh, pick up... And the words I use, and I've been using them ever since all these years later, was I would pick up the baton that he has now handed to me to carry on, you know, HIV um, awareness and and uh, which is why I'm a um, an ambassador for Terence Higgins Trust. Uh, that's Tyrone's legacy. That's how Tyrone still lives. Mm. That and musical theatre. Um, so um, um, I I I was with him. I watched his chest up and down, and he just looked. Completely peaceful. Of course, you know, he was wired up and tubes and things and, you know, a feeding tube and that. But outside of that, in his face, he looked just completely like Tyrone. He was he was emaciated. Again, the nature of the illness. But mm. he, through that, there was still the personality that I knew to be Tyrone. He was still there. Um, and then it was about five something in the morning, you know, I was woken up by um, a nurse who said, you know, it's, it's time for you to go and see him now. And he just took a couple of laboured breaths and then stopped. And he just looked like he was asleep, um, completely asleep. And I thought... Well, at least it doesn't hurt anymore. Yeah. It doesn't hurt anymore. And for that, I'm grateful. Um, the nurses were telling me that when I was talking to him, that he definitely would have heard me. You know, the professor assured me that the last thing that would have hung on, the last sense that would have hung on was hearing. So I was, I was grateful for that. So I could mm. sit and talk to him. Um, sang a little bit. Not much, because I wasn't. Um, there wasn't much voice from my part coming out at that point. But I, I did try and sing to him a bit. Um, and when I saw him, uh, I kind of I, I saw him. He he was looked like he was sleeping. Went out the room, had a bit of a cry, uh, sorted myself out, went back into the room, and all the tubes had gone. Everything had gone. And there was um, a couple of soft toys there. And I was like, that's more like it. That's more like it, you know. I got to see him just looking like him. And it wasn't that awful thing of all the colours drained away or anything. He just looked like he'd fallen asleep. And that really, that was a a real comfort to me. Mm. Definitely Mm. was, yeah. What else was a comfort to you? What else helped you at that time? Um, well, uh, shortly after, there was a lot of people started to arrive at the hospital um, just to say, you know, goodbyes and things. And um, even though he'd already gone, you know, um, 
my best friend who um, uh, had lived in Newcastle at the time travelled down and was there the whole time. Thank God for him. Thank God for Monroe because I would have, yeah, I, I, I think I'd have screamed the whole place down, but he was there and um, then my mum came down and that, when I saw mum, I felt like I could just breathe out, you know? Um, and so mum, mum's very religious, so mum did her thing of saying prayers and, and, and all of that. And um, I sat across the road from the hospital and just sat and chatted to mum about Tyrone and just about how much we loved him. And then a thought occurred to me, it was my niece's fifth birthday that day. So the day that Tyrone left us was also, the, you know, my niece's birthday. So I had that to focus on and he doted, <laughs> I mean doted on Sophie, absolutely doted on her, doted on both um, my oldest niece, um, Abigail, and and the little baby who was Charlotte. You know, he just loved them. But because Sophie was at an age where she was still dead cutesy and young and so he, he could interact <laughs> with her, that innocence, and she understood, you know. So he just completely, completely doted on her. So I thought, well, in years to come, that will bring me so much joy, you know, every year that, you know, she has her birthday... I'll think of Tyrone thinking, oh, you're getting older, you know. Uh, that <laughs> That's really, connection. that connection yeah. was a gorgeous connection for me. Um, but yeah, gosh, um, the nurses, the warmth of the nurses, they were so sensitive and kind and just, I mean, they have seen, you know... Um, rejuvenation in in patients they've also seen patients who they've had to say goodbye to themselves mm. so every aspect of the human existence nurses are there right at the forefront they know they've been there they've seen it and um, they were there right at the precipice when he transformed from you know the life into into death and they were so sensitive to how I would be feeling, what I was going through. It didn't feel as though it was all very officious and, oh, well, you know, he's gone, right? We need to tidy the bed up. We need to get the next person in. There was none of that. It was so... There was humanity. Mm. There was humanity and there was kindness. And you need that. You really need that. Mm. Mm. Not officiousness. Oh, God. Yeah. 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 And compassion compassion lots of compassion because I, I i was um i was i was fine until i wasn't <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean yeah. so yeah can you tell us about your dad's death yes yeah very different set of circumstances the last time i saw my dad alive was a wednesday um, he was in uh, New Cross Hospital in Wolverhampton. He had been transferred from the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham. Um, he had been rushed there. You know, they did the surgery there uh, to remove the cancerous uh, tumour in my dad's spine, which was causing him to walk funny. My dad was a builder. 
My dad carried his tools on his back in a rucksack. He was blinking Hercules to me. So strong, so strong, you know. And he had builder's hands, like rough, big. He wasn't a tall man. He was little, but he big hands, big, tough hands, you know. Very daddy, you know, mm. very conservative, you know. Man of few words until he lectured you and then... <sighs> <laughs> All right, Dad. All right, Dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wind it up now. Um, Very, very um, old school Jamaican. Had his little pork pie hat and, you know, always wore a suit. And that was, you know, that was me, Dad, unless he was working. So um, to see my dad very vulnerable Mm. in a hospital bed and in obvious pain was hard. Mm. That was hard. he had only been in hospital once before, and that was when he was born. <laughs> My dad had never, wow. ever been in a hospital. Married to a woman who had worked in the NHS her entire life. You know, my mum was an ophthalmic nurse, worked with eyes, and never been in a hospital. His daughter, my sister, older sister, you know, same thing, um, works with the NHS, but dad had never... Healthy, always well, fit, strong, active, walked everywhere. Everyone used to, oh, here comes Eddie, because they'd hear him singing to himself with his tools on his back and, you know, and his little signature hat and his little Trevor McDonald glasses. That was my daddy. Um, So, yeah, seeing him in hospital was, was really, really tough. But I saw dad on the Wednesday and I talked to him Weirdly, I talked to him about family trees. I don't know. Maybe I had some kind of thing in the back of my head somewhere that I needed to have that conversation with him because I wouldn't get a chance to do it again. But mm. the previous visit, I talked to him about our family tree. And he'd gone off on one. I mean, he was telling me all kinds of things. I found out I had two uncles that fought in the Great War. And, you know, he was telling my mum stuff about her family, which she didn't even know about because they came from the same... Um, village in Jamaica so you know it was wonderful and I was like this is keeping my dad's spirits up because my dad was very depressed being in hospital Mm -hmm. being having no use of his legs a man who walked everywhere and was so used to flying up ladders and that couldn't use his legs anymore it was like all the fight had gone out of him so we were trying to think of things to pep him up you know so I went to see dad on the Wednesday and I was chatting away and I was talking about all kinds of stuff and usually politics and my dad big into his politics and you know and what's going on in the news and all that kind of stuff and I said right dad I've got a gig um at the weekend um, up this end so I'll be able to come and see you on the Friday so I'll see you Friday evening so Friday came and uh, I was I I was actually having a meeting my phone kept ringing and um, I was like I'm having a meeting I'll ignore that and I got out the meeting and saw that it was loads of missed calls from my family and uh, before I had a chance to dial again my brother phoned me and said Bevy's gone. And my first words were, oh, okay. Well, I'm on my way home from a meeting, so I'll come up. I just went into 
complete shock, disbelief, automatic mode. I went home. I went through the motions of packing a bag. I went um, home is London, and but home home is Wolverhampton. Yeah. So I I um, I kind of I can't even remember if I drove. I think I went on the train um, and got home and just was in absolute shock. Mm. Saw mum. Uh, mum was in okay. There's things we need to do. Kind of mode, and. Uh, you know, we were all around mum's house and then my uncle turned up who took my breath away because my uncle looks the spitting image of my dad. Same hat, everything, you know. My dad and he used to swap clothes. So my uncle walks in and I was like, oh, my God, and then realised. And, you know, the house started to get very busy. So I, I just went into this whole automatic mode of helping mum to receive visitors who were coming to pay their respects mm. and um, all that kind of stuff. So it took me a while to really accept that dad had gone. Mm-hmm. Um, it was slightly different to to how it was with Tyrone. Um I didn't, the last time I saw my dad ever was when I said, see you Friday evening. Um, I didn't see him Friday evening because he'd gone and um, the, you know, they'd taken him away to the morgue and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, I actually, now that I, now that he's in that kind of situation where he's in a morgue and it's cold and he's, I don't need to see him Mm. now. I know my dad, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I chose not to see him. I, I, so my last memories of dad was dad talking and lecturing me about politics. Um, and family trees. And family and his, trees. And his history. <laughs> and his I history. think what was lovely about that as well, you know, is, you know, yes, it's fascinating and interesting mm. for you to hear those stories yeah. that you might not have heard before. Yeah. But... Also, there's something nice that he was talking about his history, his, wasn't he? As that's well? it. It was. The, it's the lineage, and you know he went back as far as he could. Um, and um, and one this was day, days before he. And died. this is days before he died. Um, you that's know, he, nice. he, just beautiful. And there's something about we know that there is a physical end. But because Dad had talked about a family tree, and of course I've got, I don't have children, but I've got um, a nephew and um, younger nieces, the, the youngest of which Dad never met, um, my little, the little one, Erin, um, it was like the essence of Dad is still there. The, it, I think Dad talking about how this one gave birth to that one and that one, and then was me, and now it's you, and then, you know, and your brother Adrian, and Adrian's got these children, and you know, and, and so on. And so on. And it is, and so on. It really is, and so on. None of us know what's around the corner. But we believe planning and preparing now for end of life makes life better at the end. Marie Curie is here to help. For more information on how to have an open conversation around death and dying, visit mariecurie.org.uk forward slash talkabout and help make life better at the end. It's funny because 
yes, dad has gone, but sometimes I look in the mirror or I hear myself speaking, especially when I'm on a political rant, and I'm like, dad hasn't gone anywhere. <laughs> dad's dad's still here. I, I look at my brother and I can still see my dad because my brother looks just like my dad. And my brother's son has a lot of my dad's physicality, looks like him and actually embodies him, even though he's an 11-year-old. And we often laugh and go, dad <laughs> we look at Blake and just laugh you know um and that's the wonderful thing about um you know the whole transition of life into death is it really is just physical for me it really is just physical because I still feel and see my dad mm. you know so much in my own self in my in my sister um, in in my my brother certainly in my nephew, um, it's it's just funny. It's like he continues, but in a different form. In a different form, it's like it, it's, it's it, yeah. He's he has transformed into something which is eternal. That's how I see it. Um, I did the, the I came to terms with dad physically no longer being here. On the day of the funeral, me, Synth, my sister, Adrian, my brother, and my guitarist, Paul, um, we performed at Dad's funeral. The church was um, the little funeral at the end of our road. So we just walked up the road, Dad in, in the coffin and that, and we walked behind the coffin, just walked. Um, packed. My God, it was packed. Um and loads of my friends and that Monroe again <laughs> was there, and and loads of friends and, and and that came up from London, and uh, we sang a song called "Going Up Yonder," which is like a a really up tempo song. My dad, you know, Christian background again, like my mum, so um, we sang it in our three part harmony on on the guitar. But it's a real up tempo rousing song positive song and Mm. that's how we chose to remember dad um and that it was that day that i came to terms with the fact that dad wasn't coming back when we were at the graveside um most west indians get buried i don't know anybody apart from tyrone who is obviously my generation i don't know anybody who's been cremated who is um Jamaican um, cultural, I don't know. Were there any other particular rituals at the funeral that were mm, important oh, to your Well, the singing family? around the graveside right. is a big evangelical Pentecostal Christian thing, you know, as the, 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 the casket, coffin, sorry, is being lowered and there's always singing, always singing. And as, you know, you're digging to, to fill the, the, the hole singing, you sing... You sing your way through the entire experience. Um, absolutely essential. Uh, and people take part in kind of shoveling in the soil. Everybody, the... you're handing around the shovel. You know, everybody's doing their oh, bit. Nice. I like that. It's it's nice because it's it's very communal. Yeah. And uh, we sang and we sang and we sang, and then. And then when mum started to cry, that was when we all lost it. But then we all joined together to sing. Mm. And, you know, that was when the singing got 
much louder. Just to... I come from a musical family. I come from generations of music. So mm. the way we get through everything in life is music and is singing because that's our first instrument and that's how that's how we got through that day with song. Yeah, we 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 sang the sorrow out. Just sounds really instinctive as well actually. It completely. Completely. There's no order there's no and now we're going to sing blah blah somebody somewhere is going to raise a song whether it's a hymn or a some kind of spiritual and everybody's just going to follow that person mm. and that's how it is and it's utterly spontaneous and it goes on until the last bit of earth is on top of the grave and that's what that's how it was and and um yeah it it's it's funny um i Although it took me a long time to understand that dad was not coming back because dad's chair was still in the house and, you know, it just felt weird. Well, where is he? Yeah. <laughs> Your chair's there. Where are you? Um, everything's normal everything's and the same, yet everything's completely different. Completely different. At the same different. time. So how yeah. does your head adjust to that? It was so weird so weird I still I've still got the key to the to the house mum and dad lived in the same house dad bought the house in 67 married mum in 68 and um, that was the house that is the house mum's still there so you know you put the key in the door it's the only house we've ever had put the key in the door straight to the kitchen well that's me anyway straight to the kitchen kettle on I'd always say, before I'd even say, hello, Dad, I'd be like, Dad, do you want a cup of tea? That was what, you know, because yeah. I'd just know he was in the house, feel him somehow. I knew he was there. But walking into the house, and the house is too still. Where's Dad? It, it, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, strange, really, really strange energy. Um, now, of course, it's all settled, and and um, I I'm I now because I've come to terms with everything, you know. On occasion, I'll still find myself putting the key in the door and walking in and expecting Dad to be on the sofa ranting at the news, but, um, you know. And he's been gone nine years, but mm. it so it was two thousand and ten when your dad died. Yeah, two thousand ten, tenth of September, two thousand ten. Yeah. So just for people listening and people who might be experiencing yes. a bereavement, yeah. grieving themselves yeah. now, what helped you or what has helped, do you think, now? And I know we're nine years on after your yeah. dad and more years after Tyrone's death, yeah. but yeah. is there anything in particular that helped you, Beverly? you know, with your grief and, and bereavement over the years? Um, music helped. It's funny. When Tyrone died, the last thing I wanted to do was write any songs. I was like, no, I can't face it. I just cannot do it. Um, I could listen to music and that would help. But the idea of creating, I just couldn't face it. It took me, must have been six to nine months before I even put pen to paper. Was that because thoughts and feelings were just too raw? Too raw. Felt they would overwhelm me. Mm. 
I just couldn't do it. Um, and then when I did, gush, <laughs> it all came out. It all came flowing out. Um, uh, when uh, when Dad died, I found myself drawing on music much quicker. That the one the first song that I wrote. Um, after Dad, after uh, Dad died, was a song called "No One Ever Loves in Vain," which I co-wrote with Guy Chambers, and um, I was all right with that. You know, that was okay. That that helped me get through. Right. That helped me get through. So listening to music, singing, writing. Yeah. Something quite cathartic about that process, yeah. it sounds like, as well for you. I think also support networks. You've talked about significant people in your life. You oh, know, completely. Friends and others who have been yeah. a great support and great family. Great support. My friend, my friend Zaz, um, dear friend of mine, her daughter Coco is my, is my um, godchild. And she had lost her grandma and... Her grandma looks just like her. Oh, she looks just like her grandma. I mean, like, ridiculous spitting image. And um, her grandma would always say to her, you know, um, you'll know I'm there because you'll feel me. You'll feel me. And um, I'll be that fly on the wall. And, uh, you know, so you better behave yourself, young lady. You know, that's how she was so, this sweet lady. I never got to meet her, but she would always tell me. And sometimes if me and Zaz were having like chats, you know, and like getting all deep and buzzing around the room, a little fly and she'd be like, oh, grandma's here. <laughs> I better watch my mouth. You know, just silly things like that. But it. But they can be comforting. But they are comforting. Yeah. It's the you find the comfort wherever you can, and sometimes it's the most to anybody else the most insignificant thing that might bring you joy. My dad's hat. Everybody knew my dad because of his singing, and because and when they describe him, they describe they'd always talk about his hat, you know, or hats because he had a few. So. In my wardrobe are a couple of my dad's hats. Oh, nice. Um, you know, dad's clothes went to, to charity and some went to my uncle Ron, um, is his spitting image. Um, but when my mum said, oh, you know, what stuff of your dad would you like? I said a hat. Straight away, it's a hat. Because <laughs> that was so much daddy, you know? Mm. Mm. Everything else I had in my heart already. Mm. and um, But something physical that I could hold on to. Yeah, that was, that was Daddy's hat. And with Tyrone, it was his, brackets, horrible record collection. <laughs> Man, he likes some rubbish. Woo! But, it, but I look at it now and I laugh, you know. <laughs> like, you know, it just... I, th I think a Tyrone like and laugh a lot. Um, he'd be particularly chuffed that I'm in this whole wonderful world of musical theatre because he loved theatre and he himself um, had a little brief stint in um, Starlight Express. <laughs> so um, he he would be doing total somersaults now, knowing that I'm you know on stage and everything. And I mean, he he'd just love that. So it's those are the it's the small things from which you draw your comfort. Mm. And 
it's no matter how tiny it may seem, if it makes you smile and if it makes you feel better, you have to grieve and work through the process in your own way. There is no set rule. There is no, well, by now you should be getting over it. None of that. It's just, it's at your pace and when you're ready and how you want to work through it. Because mm. mm. we are all completely different human beings. The the biggest, biggest draw for me was music. That mm. That lifts me out of everything. Um, that helped me to express what was in my heart. I still can write about Tyrone and about Dad as though it was a very recent bereavement, but um, because, you know, obviously the, the, the loss was so deep, but um, it the music really helped me to just push through. You know, especially because you're in the public eye and you know you have to, at some point, come out of a hiding hole and um, face the public again and, you know. And the public have their own issues. So you then have to assume the role of being the person who helps others through their grief. But the funny thing about that is that in turn helps you. Mm. So just from, a you know, from someone who's in under the spotlight, um, that was actually a comfort even though I was terrified to do that initially especially after Tyrone's death um to help others has helped you in return absolutely absolutely the amount of people who will say to me oh you know I wrote a song called remember me specifically about Tyrone just me and the piano I just sat and wrote this song the piano and the amount of people who say oh yeah that really helped me through and and then that helps me through as well. That mm. helps me to remember good things and funny things, you know. Can I ask about in my work yeah. and people I people I talk to who are either caring for a loved one who's yeah. dying or or you know are grieving? Um, they talk about being faced with their own mortality. Yes. Um, and. I just want to kind of move yeah. on a little bit yeah, and yeah. ask you, do you think about your own death? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, when Tyrone died, um, I hadn't hit 30 yet. Um, so I was 29 and um, it was like, bam, you know. Uh, and I realised that I was not Superwoman mm. and that one day death would come to my door. Um, and initially, it made me quite scared and worried. Um, I found myself thinking about it, you know, just as I'm sleeping. What if I don't wake up? Well, if you don't wake up, by definition, you're not going to know because you're no longer here, you know. And I twist and turn myself into not thinking that way. And um, then... Fast forward to when Dad died, I was, uh, again, you know, you're confronted. I mean, this was my dad, you yeah. know. I was confronted with the reality that one day um, it's going to be me. It absolutely will be me. And I, that bit older, having been through what I'd been through with Tyrone, I felt a lot more at ease, a lot more at ease with the idea of my own mortality that life is finite 
you know, mm. that it's not going to go on and on and on forever. Mm. And that was a shift in my thinking about 10 years ago. So then I started to, nine years ago, I started to think about legacy building and leaving things behind so that people would, you know, remember me fondly, but... Um, have you know make, making a mark making some kind of impression in the world and um working towards that knowing that the finish line will come you know I will run the mm. course yeah. and finish the course one day I just don't know when um but that has helped me to feel a lot more at ease with my own mortality now. How about practical things like we were talking about before? So what writing wills and oh, planning funerals or getting stuff down on paper or telling people? Um, truthfully, <laughs> I have to be truthful, confession time. I still haven't written a will and I must and I must do it. But James and I, my husband, and we have... of people haven't written. No, and... So many. So many. Um, and, you know, looking at the year 2016, for example, um, the year that we lost Bowie and my number one, which was Prince, and so many people in that year, Leonard Cohen and, you know, Lemmy and George Michael. And, you know, the, the fact that Prince didn't leave a will, what a complication. Yeah. You know, what a mess, you know, just like, oh, my God. So that has got me thinking, OK, you don't want to leave a complete mess behind. That's somebody else, you know. Who's trying to grieve. Who's trying to grieve. Like, you know, if it, if I go before James goes, then it, he's left with all of this to... Nah. So, um I, we've spoken about um, when that day comes and I've always been, I've, I've said, right, there's got to be loads of music <laughs> and it's got to be colourful and um, it's got to reflect my life. My life is lived mostly through smiles, so smiles and music. So That's that nice. is how I want the day to be as, as much as is possible. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd want to donate, you know, as much as I could to Terence Higgins Trust and, you know, leave something for them and, um, to sell off my shoes, that'd be quite a lot of money. <laughs> um, I'd, I'd like to make sure if, oh God forbid, if something happened to me like tomorrow, I want to make sure my little doggy's okay. You know, there's so many little things that I'm thinking yeah. about. Yeah, um, and important things as important well to things, kind of get written down. You know, so um, this actually is a help <laughs> because this is like a the beginning of a record of of, of um, what I'd like, mm. and and yeah, yeah, having it down on a podcast. Yeah, having it. <laughs> this is what I'd like, everyone. Yeah. So you touched on your legacy just before we finish yeah. off. Um, what will I mean? What will your legacy be? Um, I very much hope that people will remember me as the woman who sang from her the very, very depth of her soul, and opened it up 
to share with the world. That's what I hope. I hope that long after I'm gone and people don't remember what I look like or whatever, well, in this this day and age, that's difficult now, God, with social media. But um, if people don't necessarily know my name, I'd love to think that they might know my music and feel how I lived, that I, I really did live through music. That would be incredible. That would be amazing. And that I mostly smiled my way through life. <laughs> nice, fantastic. Beverly Knight, thank you so much for joining me today on the Marie Curie Couch. It truly has been a massive pleasure. To oh, meet you. it's a pleasure for me. Thank you. It's great. So that's all for this episode of On the Marie Curie Couch. We hope it's got you thinking about matters of life and death and perhaps starting those conversations with your own friends and family. Marie Curie's here to help. From planning ahead to coping with bereavement, you can talk through any concerns you have around the end of life with our support line team, which includes specially trained nurses. Call us on 0800 090 2309 or search Marie Curie online. Join us next time when we'll be talking to actor Greg Wise. This podcast is made by Marie Curie, a national charity that supports people affected by terminal illness. For more information and support, you can visit our website, mariecurie.org.uk. The podcast is produced and edited by Marie Curie with support from Ultimate Sound and Vision. The music featured is Time Lapse by Pan Oceanic. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do like and subscribe. Thanks for listening, and until next time, goodbye. <laughs>